Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. We're talking Friedman's 2020 rankings on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome back to Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by Bet Online and the FFPC. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at Rotoviz, joined by the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network, Matthew Friedman. What's going on, Matt? I understand that you've been working through your 2020 rankings. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how long of a timeline this has been on, but they are now released. Yeah, so done the rankings. And now just actually doing the process of uh, like the real dirty work of creating projections. So like the rankings are just kind of, I want to say just shooting from the hip, but um, you know, the process is a little less scientific than the, uh, the projections. So done with the rankings and now on to the projections. That makes sense. Um, while you were working through your rankings, did anybody stand out as particularly hard to rank? Maybe there was a player that, you could see shifting up or down 20 spots at random that, you know, somebody just weren't sure about. Hmm. So a few of the rookies. So there could be questions about uh, Clyde Edwards, Alaire, like how much of the workload will he get in year one? I think Cam Akers, uh, you know, questions about him. Um, There are some reports that it might be a split backfield there, but I think he's going to be the guy. Jonathan Taylor, so the rookies, and then I would say Leonard Fournette is someone that uh, I'm kind of intrigued by. Not that I think he's really all that great, but you know he had a lot of workload last year. He didn't score many touchdowns. If he sees a similar workload this year, he's going to have, I think, some pretty massive touchdown regression. And I don't think much has really changed in the backfield. I know Chris Thompson is now there, but... Uh, you know, even if you cut in half the number of receptions that Leonard Fournette gets, I think he would still be a top 10 back this year. So he's someone I'm kind of going back and forth on. And then one more guy is Todd Gurley. Mm. Uh, I mean, like you could see a situation where and it's very like Steven Jackson, you know, like five years ago as eight years ago now, probably. But, you know, when he left the Rams and was with the Falcons, you know, I could see a situation where Gurley actually has something this year close to what he had last year, where he has like, you know, a thousand yards and then actually maybe like double digit touchdowns, you know, maybe like even 15 touchdowns um, if they just use him in that way. And I think he's you know going to be on an explosive offense. So, you know, there are just questions at the same time, like Todd Gurley's older and he has an arthritic knee. Like, do I really want to have him ranked in the top? I don't know, top 16. Like, I kind of don't, but I think that's where he belongs. So a lot of running backs uh, and, you know, the guys who just have like uncertain situations, either because it's harder to project their playing time or it's just kind of harder to project them uh, as players and like where they are right now in health or talent. Yeah, players changing teams always make things 
really hard to wrap your head around. And then you have some of those question marks that go with a player like Todd Gurley and only muddies the waters even more. Uh, we are going to take a pause here for a quick FFPC stat attack. And then we will follow up with some talk about the player that it relates to. For today's FFPC stat attack, Carlos Hyde signed with the Seahawks and has seen his ADP skyrocket more than 150 spots to around overall 150 since the beginning of the month. Hyde has recorded just two RB1 weeks in the last two seasons. FFPC is the home to the best fantasy football leagues and contests in the industry, including Dynasty, Best Ball, and of course, the world-famous FFPC main event. To learn more or to join a league, head to myffpc.com. That's myffpc.com. And of course, we've got a handful of tools at Rotoviz designed specifically for FFPC domination. Matt, we now have a situation where Carlos Hyde is in that Seattle backfield with Chris Carson. One has to assume a lot of this relates to questions about Rashad Penny and his availability to start the season for Seattle. What was your reaction to this move? Does it just make it harder to know what we can expect from these backs? Does Hyde have any value? Where do you land on this? So I've been talking about this with um, <clears throat> with Chris Raybon and, uh, you know, thinking about where we want to put Hyde in our rankings and, you know, how, how many carries we can project him for. If you look at what he's done in the past four years, and like granted, it's worth saying in the past even like three years, he's now on his fifth team. Uh, so it's not as if he's a great talent or that organizationally uh, he seems to be valued all that highly, but he has a minimum of 172 rushes in any season over the past four years. Like he feels like a guy who actually has a decent chance of getting 150 carries in three of the past four years. He's had over 1100 yards from scrimmage. You know, he's a big bodied guy who could score some touchdowns. I'm actually a little bit worried that this could impact Chris Carson. Um, You know, Carson, he's, he seems like he should be locked in as the lead guy, but he hasn't been able to uh, to play a full season. You know, his rookie year was cut short, played only four games that year, missed two games in 2018 and 2019. He played most of the season, but he did end the year on injured reserve. Like, I think they might want to have a little bit more of a split committee. Not that like Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde are 50-50, but that we see enough of the usage go to Carlos Hyde to where he's getting eight to 12 carries per game, something like that. And so uh, Chris Carson, instead of having some of those massive games where he has like 25 and 30 carries, he's more in that like 15 to 20 carry range. So I don't know. I, I think this is actually a bigger deal than people are kind of accounting for. Not so much in terms of what it means for Carlos Hyde, because I still don't think He's someone you really ever want to use, but I think he's going to be used just enough to make Chris Carson much less attractive. Got it. Um, and as far as Rashad Penny goes, um, if Penny were to be available early on to start the season, I- I'm assuming that with the addition of Hyde, he just becomes that much more unattractive to you. 
Yeah, uh, I think so. It's it's a tough situation because um, he's not healthy and he was already having to deal with Chris Carson and now there's another guy he has to deal with. So if he's healthy, you know, maybe he can resume his role, but I, we just can't count on that. Yeah, I actually wrote up Penny as a guy that may have been a bit of a value a couple of weeks ago, but since I wrote that, a bunch of things have changed. Uh, obviously, the addition of Hyde and then also... His availability early on is speaking to the fact that there's probably a more significant injury than it had seemed like there was, uh, you know, as recently as a couple of weeks ago. So unfortunately, his situation seems to be declining. Uh, After looking through your rankings, um, one thing that I think people might find interesting is that you have Odell Beckham ranked pretty highly. Uh, You only have Jarvis Landry 10 wide receiver spots behind him. How much of a void do you think that there is between these two in 2020? Or is this just more of like a, uh, you know, a separation between them, perhaps with what their ceiling looks like? Yeah, it's it's worth keeping in mind that Jarvis Landry last year actually outproduced Odo Beckham Jr. Um, but that doesn't mean that he is better than Odo Beckham, right? I don't think really anyone has... Uh, has Landry projected higher than Beckham? They just might be closer on them. But last year was a situation in which OBJ had a below average season for him, and he still had a thousand yards. Uh, Odell Beckham had, a, sorry, uh, Jarvis Landry had a good season for him, um, and he had you know maybe just like a hundred, a hundred and fifty yards more than uh, than Odell Beckham. If everything clicks right. I think we're looking at a situation where OBJ's floor isn't much lower than Jarvis Landry's and his ceiling is significantly higher. If he clicks right with Mayfield, he could have 1600 yards this year. And like that might seem aggressive, but within the like the framework of what OBJ has done throughout his career, that's really not all that unfathomable. Like that that actually has a chance of happening. I'm not inclined to to disagree with you there, and I think the stance about the ceilings for me definitely holds. I've always been a fan of Landry, but I I really don't see many ways that you can try to make an argument that his ceiling comes close to what Beckham's is. Uh, In terms of touchdown scoring, though, in this Browns offense, do you think that in a normal season, uh, the expectation expectation for them would be somewhat similar or do you think that it's it's pretty clear that Beckham should be the one scoring more touchdowns I think Beckham's likelier to score more touchdowns um you know touchdowns tend to be pretty correlated with yards I try not to think all that much about touchdowns anyway but the for the first three years of his career Beckham had over a thousand yards I mean that's being generous he had over 1300 yards in each of his first three seasons and a minimum of 10 touchdowns each year. Now, like, granted, he's tailed off a little bit, but in 2017, he played only four games, still had three touchdowns. 2018, he tailed off a little bit, but still had 0.5 touchdowns per game, right? Last year was just something of an anomaly in terms of his touchdown scoring. I would expect that to bounce back. Yeah, not at all um, in disagreement here. I still think that Landry, where he's been going in ADP, is a good value for where you can get him and a player that I might end up with on a number of teams. Um, Beckham, coming off of last season, I think it's easy to have a bit of a bad taste in your mouth, perhaps, but I'm not sure that we should carry that 
forward to this season, especially given the fact that in, like you said, what was a very down season for him, it really wasn't an entire failure. Um, a player that I do wanted to talk to you about is Miles Sanders. I have been seeing a lot of Sanders hype and, and, and some people on Twitter even questioning how you don't include him above certain thresholds. I've even seen the RB5 mentioned, which is is kind of nuts. Um, but do you think that uh, Miles Sanders is a top 10 back? Is there a compelling case for putting him into that range of players? Yeah, I mean, I can see it in um, in standard. I have him at number 11 in PPR. I have him at number number 13. But you know, I'm a little more optimistic on, you know, a player like Leonard Fournette or Josh Jacobs. And so I like, I wouldn't fight you too much if you had Miles Sanders ranked above those guys. Um, so I can see a case for him to be, you know, drafted in the borderline of the top 10, but uh, I'm just going to be a little more uh, pessimistic about him. Not necessarily because I don't think he has the talent. Like I think he, if everything worked right, he could actually finish as like a top three running back. It's just, I think Boston Scott is an undervalued player. He's probably going to get uh, more workload than people think. And I expect that they will add a veteran at some point. Now it would seem like when you're talking about Boston Scott and the workload that he might get, given your stance on Sanders in standard versus PPR and what have you, you're expecting that the work Boston Scott will get will primarily come as a receiver. Am, am I correct? Yeah, that? that's what, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Okay. Um, that's probably a bit surprising to most people, I think, to hear that Sanders, you would actually have lower in standard than in PPR. But if you keep in mind the player that Boston Scott is, I think it does make sense. Uh, let's talk about another player, though, that has made his mark as a receiving back, and that's Philip Lindsay. For you, it looks like he's not even an RB2, uh, actually falling pretty far down your rankings in terms of drafting him, uh, and you can frame this in perhaps the round that you would start to thinking that you would start thinking about him, or maybe for a type of profile, how would you be approaching drafting him this season, or is he a player that's just not going to make it onto your teams? Yeah, I've gone back and forth on him. He's probably not going to make it onto my teams. Um, and earlier in the off season. I was thinking that he might have a little bit bigger of a, a workload, especially in as a receiver, but um, he's actually been fairly inefficient as a receiver uh, in his, you know, two years in the NFL, he has 4.6 yards per target. Like that's uh that's not good, especially considering that he's caught 73.7% of his passes. So it's not as if like he's not catching the ball. It's just, he's not really doing anything once he does catch the ball. And Melvin Gordon is a pretty good back when it comes to uh, scoring touchdowns, uh, running between the tackles, and also catching the ball. So it's not that I think Gordon is going to be like a slam dunk uh, running back one, but I think he's going to get enough of the workload where uh, Lindsey is going to be something of an afterthought. That's probably fair. I have to imagine, too, that Denver is viewing Gordon as a better back than he might actually be and at the very least is going to want to try and get him as as involved as they possibly can that's fair and the thing is i think even if we see melvin gordon suffer an injury i don't know maybe philip Lindsay comes in and is like a true lead back but i just kind of 
don't see it. Like, I think if they were satisfied with Lindsay in his role, they wouldn't have gone out and gotten uh, Melvin Gordon. Like, they would have been satisfied with Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman. But, uh, like, I don't think they are satisfied with it. So we have some more to talk about. But before we do, we're going to take a quick moment for a word from our sponsor, Bet Online. There's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. NASCAR is back, and Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24 7 or participate in a 10 10- thousand dollar madden bracket challenge a march madness style nfl simulation tournament you can enter for free and coming up next sunday bet online is ex chicago bulls horace grant bill cartwright and craig hodges joining them to discuss the michael jordan documentary on what they're calling after the dance visit betonline.ag and use promo code bluewire to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action bet online your online wagering solution. So Matt, you seem to be pretty high on Josh Jacobs, or I'm not sure if that's actually a fair statement to say, but you've, since he's been in the league, been fairly positive on Josh Jacobs. Do you think that there are any reasons to doubt drafting him as an RB1 in the 2020 season? Mm, I mean, yes. But uh, I don't really like those reasons or I don't find them convincing. So you could look at the team's decision to re-sign Jalen Richard and to draft uh, Lynn Bowden Jr. And uh, even though he was a wide receiver kind of by trade for the first part of his career and then played as a, uh, you know, a running quarterback uh, as a junior, just, you know, in a state of emergency, they're going to move him to running back. Uh, and so you could see Bowden as a, a guy who um, might actually be talented enough to uh, to take some of the work away from Jacobs. I mean, they drafted him with a top 100 pick. He was a actually like a very underappreciated slot receiver in college. So I imagine he could be a pretty good receiver out of the backfield. And so even though the Raiders spent a first round pick on him last year and he did pretty well, especially considering he was just 21 years old. Uh, I could understand why you might have some trepidation about his role moving forward, especially thinking that he's not going to be used all that much in the receiving game. That said, um, I don't know, like Richard isn't, was an undrafted guy and Bowden is, you know, like a quote unquote offensive weapon. Like I'm not going to worry about them when the Raiders did spend a first rounder on a guy. Uh, he is big. Um, when he's been a receiver, he's been competent, uh, a good runner, only 22 years old this year, you know, entering a second season. Like that seems like the kind of guy who's going to take a big step forward. And he was pretty darn good last year. Both of those players feel to me like they're more complimentary pieces. And even if they're really performing well, I don't see them taking away enough of the workload from Jacobs. So to get to the the question, which is, is there any reason to doubt drafting Jacobs as an RB1? Like you said, I think that you can make a case. However, when you start actually looking at him versus the other players that you would probably be moving ahead of him in order for him to fall outside of that range of an RB1, I'm not sure that those players have fewer questions than you might be able to develop about Jacobs. So um, I think they're there, but really, in my opinion, he's a 
pretty clear-cut um, RB1, at least at this point in the offseason. I think it would take something radical to uh, shift that. Tyler Higby at tight end for the Rams. You have him ahead of guys like Gronk, Hooper, and Cook. Um, I'm not sure if anybody out there finds this surprising, given what we did see from Higby last season, but were you surprised at all to see him land this highly in your rankings? No, I mean, if you actually look at um, FFPC ADP, uh, you know, at uh, Rotoviz, there's a great tool uh, that allows you to check out recent FFPC ADPs. And, uh, you know, you will see that the sharp drafters of the FFPC are going with Tyler Higby uh, above guys like Hunter Henry, Gronkowski, Hooper, Cook, uh, you know, a whole bunch of other players. He's going as the number seven tight end off the board. I think that's, you know, the general vicinity of where I have him ranked. Um, and I, I get it, you know, like he he crushed last year at the end of the season in his final five games. Brandon Cooks is gone. And I think one way or another, whether it's the team using more two tight end sets or whether it's just Higby, you know, serving as the lone tight end in a lot of three wide receiver sets. What he did last year is enough to warrant significant enthusiasm about his prospects for this season. Tyler Higby from week 14 on saw a minimum of 11 targets. If we go back to week 13, a minimum of eight. Now, we can't say for sure that that workload is going to continue, but it's awfully encouraging when a player closes to the season at the tight end position with eight, 11, 14, 11, and 12 targets. Um, so there is a reason that those drafters are going after Higby aggressively. It would appear, based upon your ranking of Eric Ebron, that you don't think he's a thing in 2020. If we have listeners that are holding out hope for him and are excited about him landing in Pittsburgh, why should they temper their expectations? Hmm. Yeah, it's tough. Um, Ebron, you're right. I don't have a lot of hope for him, but... I don't know, like I'm not ruling out the possibility of things breaking right for him. Like I still have him ranked ahead of Greg Olson, Kyle Rudolph, Irv Smith. Like in theory, I kind of like some of those guys. Like, I mean, it's just there are other players that I feel I need to have ahead of Eric Ebron. Like I like Gasicki. I like Johnny Smith. Well, I don't really like Jack Doyle, but he should be ranked ahead of Eric Ebron, uh, Ian Thomas, you know, like there were just guys and even Blake Jarwin, they were just guys I have to have ranked ahead of Ebron. But there's just the question of how much of a workload like balance is he going to have uh, in, in sharing snaps and targets with Vance McDonald? Um, is he really going to be the number one tight end or is it going to be a rotational thing the way it's been for the past two years when he was in Indy? So it's just, it's hard to know if he actually plays, let's say like 70% of the snaps and runs, you know, 70% of the routes, maybe hopefully more then I could easily see him beating his ADP and uh, beating the rankings that I have of him right now. I think he's around like number 20 or so um, easily see him outperforming that if he actually does play as the number one tight end um, a little bit skeptical that that actually happens, but you never know. And I mean, looking at um, at the FFPC, like I'm pretty much with the consensus. Like I think, um, yeah, looking at rankings, I have him ranked number 21. His ADP is number 21. So, 
you know, I'm just, I'm right there with the market. Let's zoom out from Ebron. We actually haven't uh, kind of apprised the overall receiving situation for the Steelers this offseason, I don't believe. Uh, we both are in agreement that Juju is a very good player. I think Deontay Johnson really established himself as a solid player last season. Uh, you know, you also have James Washington in there with Chase Claypool coming in. Do you think that these receivers kind of preclude us from seeing both of the tight ends getting usage in Pittsburgh or from either of them being like a real standout option? Um, Not exactly. Like, I think for the tight ends, the bigger situation is just if one of them dominates uh, the number of snaps, you know, so like if Ebron basically banishes McDonald to the bench, then Ebron could have a decent season. Um, I think I think we're going to see three wide receivers, but I don't think that's going to be what really determines whether one of these tight ends emerges. It's just going to be whether they split snaps or not. Yeah, I don't view Vance McDonald as a particularly great tight end. Um, but I'm not sure that Ebron is good enough to completely erase him either. So I think we are left with that situation where even if it might be easy to get excited about Ebron, you really can't shoot him too far up your rankings uh, just because there isn't as clear of a path as some of these other options. Final question of this episode for you, Matt. You have Lamar Jackson ahead of Patrick Mahomes in your rankings do you think that there's a lot of separation between the two or uh, are you pretty much viewing them as a bit of a toss up depending on how things break? Yeah, it's pretty even between the two. Um, and, you know, a number of smart people prefer Mahomes and uh, that's fine. I prefer Jackson a little bit because I think he just has a higher week to week floor uh, with his rushing ability. And I think he could also continue to improve as a passer. You know, that's one thing that's kind of, I think, underappreciated um, the step that he took as a, a passer last year. And I think he could still get better. Like Mahomes, it's hard to imagine Mahomes really being much better than he was uh, a couple of years ago or last year. But Jackson really could get better as a as a receiver, sorry, uh, as a thrower, in part because his receivers, uh, I think they are still improving. So Marquise Brown moving in from his first year to his second year. The same with Miles Boykin. You have Mark Andrews shifting from, you know, like a, a part-time pass-catching specialist, I think, into more of a three-down role. But he should be on the field more, running more routes. Um, I mean, there's actually the possibility that Lamar's guys are getting better. And I would say, like, Mahomes guys, like, I feel like they pretty much are just what they are, you know, like... Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Sammy Watkins, like we know what they are. They're not going to elevate their games significantly beyond what we've seen. But that's not necessarily the case for Jackson. His guys could still get better. That's a really interesting uh, way of looking at it, which is hard to disagree with now. The other thing that I want to add into this conversation here is, so I have finished uh, finished now, and they're actually, by the time people listen to this, I think all positions will be up, but I finished going through and creating the historical-based projections, sim scores, whatever 
you know, you want to call them for Rotoviz. And I kind of tweaked things this year so that in addition to looking at the stats that would carry from year to year and that are predictive year over year and correlate with fantasy scoring, I'm also now looking at stats going back two seasons. So a player's year N minus two is getting factored in as well as their most recent season with more weighting being given to that most recent season. And the interesting thing is that Patrick Mahomes, though he is a top 10 passer, has a pretty solid historical distribution score and is on par with Lamar in their floor projections, does not have nearly the upside of Jackson and also actually ranks in at about QB8. And what I think this speaks to is if we take away some of the attributes and the things that we know about Mahomes and we know about that absolutely ridiculous campaign that he has had in his career the huge arm playing on the Super Bowl winning team playing with Andy Reid all of that and we strip some of that away and just go off of what we saw in particular in last season we realize that uh, you know he has come back down to earth and isn't as much of a slam dunk as we might otherwise think. And it's interesting to see that there are players, Drew Brees, one of them, that actually look like in their range of outcomes have more upside than Mahomes. Maybe what we're missing, um, or let me say that differently, there is some truncation happening in these numbers, um, which might take away some of Mahomes' upside, or perhaps... It's not really being accounted for in here, but I just think it's particularly interesting that when you run this through some type of subjective process, we don't see Mahomes having this massive ceiling that it might feel like he has just to, you know, the person that's sitting there watching games every Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I would want to push back on that just a little bit. Um because I would say that the simulations, they don't take postseason into account, right? Correct. They don't. Yeah. So um, I don't know if what we saw from him as a runner in the postseason uh, is something that we could extrapolate forward, but he was like much more willing to run in the postseason. And maybe that's something that spins forward a little bit. Um, and he did play a significant chunk of the season, either injured or without Tyreek Hill. Um, and so I feel like that also is probably something that's not captured by the numbers um like that context so i don't know i mean i i still think <laughs> you have to project him as the number two guy you know or or like even number one like i i get it but i think he has to be locked into the top two i think when i actually go through and do my subjective projections that's where i will end up with him um but i do think it's kind of an important reminder now i think you made a couple of great points the other interesting thing though here is Lamar Jackson just so good as a rusher that I can't actually get this tool when I'm building it to really give like an accurate an accurate picture of Lamar Jackson unless I completely change the logic so that it can add in multipliers for the players it's matching him to, right? It's matching him to guys like Cam Newton, Mike Vick, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, Robert Griffin. But for as good as those guys were rushing in the seasons that it's finding, none of them were even, you know, as close to as good as Lamar Jackson is, which is just another reason that you could also say, well, if you add in the upside that should be built on top of what they have. You know, maybe that's something that distinguishes Jackson from Mahomes, which would f kind of fall in line with, I think, how you ultimately broke the tie between those two. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard. As you said, like there's really no one that we've seen who's all that comparable to Lamar Jackson. Like you would have to kind of adjust for era with guys like Vic. And then I think maybe that's kind of how you would do it, but that's still hard to do. Or like you'd have to adjust for era and then go back to someone like Randall Cunningham or, you know, it's like you just, you have to sort of like think differently about how to approach it. Um, and, and that's part of it really, you know, like as good as Mahomes is, like we do have a true sense of what his passing range of outcomes is, but we really don't know as a runner what Lamar Jackson's range of outcomes is. And like that is worth so much more for fantasy for a quarterback. Yeah, definitely cannot agree with that. And just to kind of close here, I do think that uh, if I were actually going through the process of drafting quarterbacks and I was in a league that was very weighted toward quarterback where it really necessitated opening with quarterbacks, I definitely think that Lamar and Mahomes would be in a tier of their own for me. And I, I think that's probably how most people are feeling. Uh, but anyway, that does it. Hey, I, I want to oh, yep. get, sorry, sorry to cut you off there. I, I want to ask your opinion on something yes. just to not to derail the show, but it has to do with Lamar versus Mahomes and thinking about this in terms of dynasty. Yep. I have these two guys. I have both of them for dynasty in my league that I really care about. And it's a best ball league. So my question is, <laughs> do I just hang on to these guys and kind of let it ride? Or would you? trade one of them for like a first round pick, maybe multiple first round picks. It's, it's hard to know exactly with this league, what I could get for either one of these guys. It's a, it's a fairly illiquid league Mm. in terms of the trade market. But uh, would you try to trade one of these guys for like the number one pick or something like that? Let's, let's actually just do that. Um, One of these guys for Clyde Edwards, Alaire in dynasty. Would you make that trade? Well, Is this league super flex? No. no. Right. See, that is really interesting. But, but it is best ball. It is know? best ball. I actually think that I would make the move and, and trade one. I know that you're not getting back the long-term value of the player, but I think that when you look at the actual value that you're extracting from that player, given the fact that you have two of them, right, the amount of times that and it's not even just the amount of times because it's best ball that one plays that the other doesn't. It's really the amount of times that that spread creates a substantial difference on your team. I think I'd rather bring in the running back or the first round pick and actually make use of that. Um, All right. I want to ask more yeah. here, if that's okay. Yeah. What is the lowest first round pick in a rookie draft that you would trade one of these guys for? Hmm. I would like say the 103 or the 105. I think the 105 is generally around where I feel like there's a substantial cutoff. And I say the 105 because I feel like if you go beyond that, there's probably veteran players out there that are kind of analogous that would improve your team enough that you could go after and get. So that's kind of why I'm putting the number at the 105. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I, I'm I'm going back and forth on it. My I, I go back and forth. Yeah. Well, so I can understand. Sure I mean, this is one of those things too, where if you actually own the players, it's going to be harder for you to actually make a rational decision because they feel like the actual value that they have is hard to be realized in a league like this because you can only play the one quarterback. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. Um, so I, yeah, 
I go I go back and forth. I mean, I do think that in a best ball league, there is the value in just knowing that your quarterback position is totally locked down. And then you can try to address other positions. And like it could be locked down for a long time with those two guys. Um, just to take us though a step further here, if you were going to make the trade, which player would you move? I think Lamar. Yeah, me too. Um, with my perspective being that I feel like it's easier to assume that Mahomes stays at relatively the same level of play for longer than Lamar. I agree with that. Like Lamar, as much as I really like him, um, you know, like if he suffers an injury, you know, like he has some Robert Griffin, the third type of uh, type of outcomes in his, you know, like range of possibilities. So I'm a little more hesitant about him for the long term. Yep, Completely agree. All right, now we can actually close down uh, for this episode. You can reach us at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DaveKabenFF and at MattFTheOracle. Thanks to Bet Online and the FFPC for sponsoring the show. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And as always, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. <laughs>